This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. Deadline was at 4 p.m. Eastern time today. Today, no long-term deal was reached between Saquon Barkley and the Giants. And now the Giants are not expected to see Saquon Barkley until later this summer. If then, we are wondering when he's going to report. Alongside Chris Canty, I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're joined now by our ESPN New York Giants reporter, Jordan Renan, who's been all over this story for quite some time now. And Jordan, these negotiations have been going on for quite some time. We know that the Giants made an mm-hmm. initial offer last week, and it's been going on since then. But what was the main sticking point for Saquon and these contract negotiations with the Giants? Yeah, I mean, it's always about the guaranteed money. That was the sticking point most of the time and structure of the deal, right? Because he has the franchise tag available at $10.1 million. Next year, 120% if he plays well, it's there for another $12.2 million. So, you know, the negotiating floor has to then be guaranteed money, $22.2 million. So I think that was the the sticking point for a while. And then when the Giants got up near there, uh, the structure of the deal did not suit the player uh, because of the economics of the game, because where the running back position is, because the the franchise deal isn't terrible. If Saquon plays well, makes it known he wants under no circumstance, gives him hell and wants under no circumstance to be a free agent after this year, you know, it's a better deal for him to take the franchise tag and move forward from there. Jordan, curious to know, based on your understanding of how the negotiations between Saquon and the Giants have gone over the last eight months or so, how involved was ownership, if at all, with these negotiations? Yeah, that's the one part of it we don't know yet. Like, you have to remember, we saw John Mara get involved in the Daniel Jones negotiations that we haven't heard yet from either side. So we don't know if he did. I would assume at some point there was contact made. Uh, if you remember back earlier this year, John Mara said he actually did talk to Saquon Barkley about the tag and the, and the contract negotiations. So if he did it, then I'd be surprised if it didn't happen in the past few days, we haven't gotten to the point where we have that information right now, but you know, Chris giants ownership is very involved. Now, Joe Shane is running the show, and I think we're seeing here that he has probably more carte blanche than we've seen for any Giants general manager in the, in the recent past. But still, I think it was at the league meetings where John Mara, in one breath, said, oh, I'm not a, a meddling owner, and then like two sentences later said he talks to the general manager pretty much every single day. <laughs> He's our ESPN New York Giants reporter, Jordan Renan, joining Chris Canty and Michelle Smallman on Canty and Carlin. And Jordan, we don't know when Saquon is going to report, but when he does, do you expect him to be unhappy? And what what sort of vibes is that going to bring to the Giants locker room? I'm just wondering about the animosity that could permeate in a locker room on a team that had success last year and had a lot of good things going. There was a lot of forward momentum, and I'm wondering how this Saquon news and this latest development could disrupt that yeah i mean i i think first of all i think it's very important to realize that saquon barkley was not happy throughout these whole negotiations so he's not happy he's, i think it's fair to assume right now that he's not happy with the end result okay now he mentioned when he had his football camp a few weeks back he said sitting out the season is at least going to be part of the conversation if he did not have a long-term deal and then we heard, like, last week come out, you know, it's a real possibility that he might 
miss some games or might not be ready for the opener if he did not sign a long-term deal. So I think that's the discussion that they're going to be having now. Like, how miserable do we want to make the Giants' life to prove a point that we're not happy? And I think it's very real of I, – I, I can't see him missing the season. Can't see that. Now, if he makes a point to miss a game, that's a little different. But the Giants, let's be fair, they're banking on it that for almost 600K a game, I know you made, you made a ton of money in your career, Chris, and you're a big timer. You still want to give up 600K a game? No. <laughs> no. So it's really hard to see uh, a situation where that plays out. But Mike T brought up something interesting. Mike Tannenbaum, our you know resident GM, said he could do sort of a hold in, show up like right before a week before the season and just say, hey, I'm not ready physically, and then miss the opener, right? That kind of maybe skirts around getting fined and at the same time to prove his point to the Giants. Like, you don't think you really need me? Well, let's see. At home, Sunday night football, entire nation watching, uh, Dallas Cowboys. You don't have me in the back. But Daniel Jones is looking to hand off the ball to Matt Breda, Gary Brightwell, and Eric Gray. Mm. Okay? Let's see how that goes. So, so Jordan, with this cloud hanging over the Giants organization and the uncertainty with Saquon and these negotiations breaking down, what kind of pressure is Daniel Jones under now that he's newly minted and they're going to be looking to him to be a stabilizing force in all of this, I guess, all of this noise? Well, I think it's safe to say that the pressure was on Daniel Jones to, you know, like play as he did last year and put up even better numbers already because he's making $40-plus million a year now, at least for the next two years. So the pressure was already on him. Now it's obviously going to be more difficult to be successful without – Saquon Barkley, if he's not back there, or at least he's not back there in the summer, you're not getting the work that you normally get with him. I'm interested with you because I spoke to a bunch of your former teammates, Chris, and a bunch of uh, current Giants. And the question that I present to them is, you know, how much effect does this have on the locker room? I think that's the biggest thing here, right? How much can this – and we've seen it before. These kind of things can derail the season. I don't care what anybody says. You know, having your best player unhappy, and let's be fair, Saquon Barkley is unhappy, you know, that could sometimes spread. You know, that could, that could uh, spider web throughout the locker room. I mean, naturally, when things go bad, does it, you know, does that sour apple kind of spoil everybody else? I think that is what Joe Shane is messing with here more than anything. Forget Daniel Jones and the pressure on him. I think it's how much does this affect the locker room long term? So, Jordan, let's, let's spin it away from Daniel Jones and put the spotlight on Brian Dable. How much pressure does Joe Shane making this, uh, negotiating with Saquon like this, put on Dable going into the 2023 season? Yeah, I think that puts a lot of pressure on him. He's already come out and basically started to protect, like immediately at the owners' meeting, he started to protect against the overconfidence thing, right? Um, you heard him, like, I think, I think somebody asked him, like, you know, looking back on a season, you accomplished all this, you know, coach of the year, you won a playoff game. And, you know, his response was, I'm paraphrasing, we got whooped by the Eagles, right? So he's mm. saying, hey, we really didn't do anything. So Brian Dable is already protecting against that. Now he's going to have to protect against his locker room splintering. And I know, you know, you say Saquon Barkley is a good guy, but the natural thing, if you're not happy and, 
he didn't get paid long term, right? And other guys did. So you're looking around and you see that. Naturally, like if he's sitting around and just talking about it in the locker room, you know, other guys are listening. When things start to go bad, does it does it start spiraling? That's Brian Dable's job. It makes his job, I, I think it's a fair point, a lot more difficult this season to sort of keep an eye on that locker room and make sure it doesn't splinter. And he doesn't necessarily have a guy like Saquon Barkley there. Because even if he's there, he's not, you know, he's the guy that potentially is unhappy. Uh, I think, I think it's something he's going to have to spend a lot of time protecting against. He's Jordan Renan, our ESPN New York Giants reporter. Follow him on social media for all the latest at Jordan Renan. Jordan, we know you're super busy today. Thanks so much for the time. You got it anytime. Chris, I'm going to need your, I'm going to need your opinion on how much, what your thoughts are, if the locker room splinters or not. I got you, Jordan. You know I got you. Call me up, brother. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Speak soon. Well, I'm going to ask you right here. He can just go back and listen on the podcast, Chris, because (laughs) I want to know how a situation like this with Saquon Barkley goes over in the locker room. A lot of guys understand that this is business, but it, it is something that could permeate as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is something that you worry about if you don't have strong leadership within your organization. Now, good for the Giants. They were able to see strong leadership in their head coach, Brian Dable, his first time in the job as a head man, and he did a great, great, great job in his first year being able to provide a plan that his players could trust in and believe in that they could have success. And so I don't think that goes away, even if the organization doesn't pay one of the very best players on the team. Now, for all of the noise that will be around the Giants not taking care of Saquon, they did pay Daniel Jones, who's a homegrown player. They did pay Dexter Lawrence, who's a homegrown player. Both of those guys getting deals that were toward the top of their markets um, based on their respective positions. So I don't think it's a matter of the Giants not being willing to pay guys that produce. I think all of the players in the league recognize that the running back market is a little bit of an outlier in comparison to some of the other positions, much in the same way that the quarterback market is an outlier in comparison to a lot of the other positions. I mean, if you think about it from this standpoint, Michelle, Daniel Jones is is getting paid top 10 quarterback money at $40 million a year. The, the best non-quarterback in the National Football League is Aaron Donald, and he's yeah. making something like $31, $32 million a year. So everybody recognizes that the quarterback market is an outlier, and I think we're seeing that the running back market is an outlier in the other way. Um, So I I don't know that this is going to be as big of an issue in terms of the coach being able to keep the team together. But, you know, if you do have a strong head coach, then I I would bet on the organization in the locker room being able to work past it because the coach won't let it become a distraction. So you said Daniel Jones was getting paid like a top 10 quarterback, but he didn't make the list of top 10 quarterbacks. Our Jeremy Fowler put out the list of top 10 quarterbacks for 2023, and this was a survey. He got execs, coaches, and scouts to weigh in and rank the NFL's top 10. Daniel Jones, not on the list. The top five in order from one to five, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Justin Herbert. Six to 10, Jalen Hurts, Lamar, Trevor Lawrence, Dak, and Matthew Stafford. What quarterback, Chris Canty, that did not make this list, do you think could jump into the top 10 as we're talking about this heading into the 2024 season? So I've got two quarterbacks for you, Michelle, one in each conference, 
And we'll start with the AFC, a quarterback that not a lot of people are talking about, but one that they're going to be forced to pay attention to is Deshaun Watson. And I get it. With all of the baggage around Deshaun the last couple of years, it's uncomfortable to just confine the conversation around him to the football realm. But just for the sake of projecting what he's going to be and the Cleveland Browns are going to be, if you look at Kevin Stefanski when he had a lot of success in Minnesota as a play caller, it was an offense that was predicated on using the run game to set up opportunities in play action. That stretch zone running scheme and then having the boots off of that, the half rolls, the sprints, and Deshaun Watson's skill set is tailor-made to have success with that. You throw in Amari Cooper another year to build chemistry with him and the run game being a top-five outfit in the league, you have to feel really good about what Deshaun Watson can do in the way of putting up numbers. The Cleveland Browns are going to be in this conversation when it comes to the playoff picture in the AFC. For the NFC, it's Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in what the Bears did around Justin Fields. I like some of the decisions that they made. Trading for DJ Moore um, and flipping that number one pick into a lot of resources to then surround Justin Fields with the requisite talent. They went out and drafted Darnell Wright, who I thought was the best offensive lineman in this year's class out of Tennessee. And they're going to book in him with the last year's rookie Braxton Jones, who played really well at left tackle. They went out in free agency and got Nate Davis as a guard to go with Tevin Jenkins and Cody White here. They have a solid offensive line. They've got a good tight end in Cole Komet. They went out and got Robert Tanya. Like, they've got pieces in place to help Justin Fields. Now, they did lose uh, David Montgomery in free agency, but Khalil Herbert showed himself to be a serviceable running back, and they signed Deontay Foreman from the Carolina Panthers. So I think they put a lot of talent around Justin Fields, and I'm looking for him to ascend to the top 10 territory. If you look at what he did um, in the second half of last season, I mean, he had a lot of performances where you're saying, man, that guy is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the entire National Football League. So I would expect that we're going to see more of that in his second full season as a starter. He's my pick, too. Chris, another guy that I think is very intriguing. Mina Kimes was on the show earlier, and we asked Mina Kimes, and she threw in Geno Smith. What about Jared Goff? I know that we tend to look down on him and think that a lot of his success in L.A. was a product of Sean McVay. But if we're sticking in the NFC North, the Lions are the trendy pick. Jared Goff, very uh, more comfortable with himself last year. I'm wondering if this can't be a season where we're talking about Jared Goff and the arrow pointing up. You know, I would have felt better about it had the Detroit Lions not had to deal with the suspension to Jamison Williams. Like, if they didn't have to worry about that, that you're now talking about a receiving core that would feature him and Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Sam Laporta. I felt more good about the punch that they had. But, yeah, I, I like Jared Goff. There's a lot to like there. They got a really good offensive line and a defense that came around. So that'll create field position, extra possessions. Goff is a competent quarterback. But I don't look at golf as a guy that has that talent where I can say if, if other things on the team go wrong, he can overcome those things. And so that's why I can't, I, I can't stamp Jared Goff as a guy that I would anticipate being in that top ten. Now, I will say Kirk Cousins is certainly a guy that you could see making a case for. He's got a lot of weapons to get the football to. Justin Jefferson, arguably the best receiver in the league. T.J. Hawkinson. And then they drafted Jordan Addison out of USC. So, and they've got a pretty good offensive line. Kirk Cousins, you know, say what you want about him. He puts up numbers. He's great on the, that Netflix series quarterback with Peyton Manning and Obama Productions. Absolutely. 
But I can see Kirk Cousins making a push um, to entrench himself in the top ten of that list. Like, a lot of people want to ignore the numbers that Kirk Cousins has put up in Minnesota. But the guy has put up some pretty gaudy numbers since he's been the quarterback of the Vikings, especially last year. I mean, listen, he finished fourth in passing yards in the National Football League last year. That's got to count for something. I am so with you on Kirk Cousins and that quarterback show on Netflix. If people haven't watched it, you need to tune into this. The access is amazing. And you get to see Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins as they go through last season. And I know it's silly, Chris, but sometimes I think when you're you're being exposed in that way and your name is out there more, that that's something that can be a contributing factor to things like this. I think we're seeing a completely different side of Kirk Cousins. I think he's the breakout star of that series. So it'll be interesting to see how that shapes conversations around him moving into Michelle, next Kirk Cousins, most comeback wins and most game-winning drives in last season. Wow. So a lot of close games. Yep. They, they won 11 one-score games. I mean, Kirk Cousins had eight game-winning drives last year. That's got to matter, right? Yep. I mean, we start look, we look at quarterbacks, and I know we don't want to say quarterbacks wins as a stat, but, I mean, the quarterback putting the team in position to win should matter, and Kirk Cousins did that a hell of a lot in 2022. So he's one of those guys that I can point to, circumstance, weapons around him, requisite talent level, where he could ascend into that top 10 quarterback realm. I would say this, I'm more confident at the end of the season that Kirk Cousins will be in consideration as a top 10 quarterback than Dak Prescott. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Cowboys fans. Oh, wow. I hear a lot of lighters being pulled out right now. So (laughs) you're saying Dak Prescott is the guy on this list that will not be top 10 next season? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I'm going to put my money on Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if we're going to be able to see Aaron Rodgers have the season that a lot of Jets fans are hoping and expecting. I know it's a new environment. I know what he's done in the past. But when you look at him last season, Chris, I just wonder if it's that time, if that's if it's that time in his career. Yeah, I think it's that time, Michelle. And the guys in the control room are screaming at us. We got a shout out. We got to bring up Matt Stafford. Like, is Matt Stafford done? I would probably say, yeah, he's done. So I would say he's another guy on this list that I could see falling off. So Matt Stafford probably done being a top 10 quarterback in the National Football League. I don't even know if he makes it through this season healthy. I was kind of surprised he was on the list, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. He's Chris I think that's a lot of respect to their head coach, Sean McVay and Cooper Cup. Yes, yes, absolutely. He's Chris Candy. I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canteen Carlin on ESPN Radio. And coming up next, Joel Embiid. He wants to win a title, whether it's with the 76ers or another team. Did we just see Embiid put the 76ers on notice? We're going to discuss it next on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. He's Chris Canty. I'm Michelle Smallman. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Trust the process, Canty. How long have we been hearing about the Philadelphia 76ers and how we need to trust the process? Feels like forever, right? Yeah, I mean, the last decade for sure. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound like the process is trusting Philadelphia Sixers organization very much these days. Absolutely not. Well, the main piece of trusting the process, Joel Embiid, the current MVP in the NBA, he was at the Uninterrupted Sports Film Festival Festival on Thursday, and he talked about his desire to win a championship, and in, in the process, no pun intended there, he may have put the Philadelphia 76ers on notice. Here's what Joel Embiid had to say. I just want to win a championship, um, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know what that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or, you know, anywhere else. You know, I just want to have a chance uh, to accomplish that. I want to see what it feels like to win that first one and then you can pick about, you know, the next one. Uh, you know, it's not easy. Thank you to AJ Torres, 1230 on Twitter for that sound. And Canty, he very clearly spells it out there. I don't know if it's going to be in Philly or anywhere else. I just want a chance to win a championship. And I feel like when you say things publicly like that, you are opening the door for an exit. Yes, you are. And you're putting the Sixers organization on notice that if things don't get turned around where we can compete and contend for a title, then I'm going to be looking for the exit. And given the way of the world in the NBA today, you have to take this – you know, seriously, if you're Daryl Morey, your best player, a guy that was just minted as an MVP, said that he's considering having to go somewhere else in order to win a title. You have to take inventory and look at what's on your team, look at the resources that you have to make your team better, and then evaluate whether or not you're going to be able to get closer to the likes of the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, the Denver Nuggets, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, Michelle... I would argue against it. I think Philadelphia has a lot of work to do. And, the, you know, the James Harden contract, I mean, you're talking about a, a player option. The only reason that Harden's there is because what he wanted in free agency wasn't going to be available to him. And so I, I don't know how much you can rely on Harden to be a part of a big two in terms of winning a title. Now, if Harden ends up being your third best player and Tyrese Maxey is your number two option, then I think you have a chance – to potentially be the team coming out of the East. But I don't know that Tyrese Maxey is going to grow that much. Mm-hmm. We love him as a young and ascending player, but I don't know if he's ready yet. So if you're Philadelphia, you have to be honest with yourself about where you're at with your overall program development and how quickly you can close ground with the teams that are true title contenders. Because if you're saying that you can't close that gap, then all of a sudden you might be facing down the barrel of making a difficult decision that is trading Joel Embiid. And he's looking at it from the same vantage point, Chris, and asking those same exact questions. And and meanwhile, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with Damian Lillard. He's like, I gave you guys everything I had. I showed you that I'm the MVP. I was patient throughout this process. And I want to win. And we saw Damian Lillard say, enough's enough. I can't get it done here. I recognize I have a finite amount of time left in my career. I'm trying to get to Miami because that's the, the best place for me. And that's where I think I'm going to have an opportunity to win. 
all of these guys are taking the same path. And I, if I'm Joel Embiid, why am I not getting on board? I'm like, scoot over. I want to get on this train, too. I want to figure out where I can go because I know my services are going to be wanted a lot of places. Who can I team up with? What organization can I go to that's in a better place to win a championship? Uh, I mean, Michelle, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. If you're Adam Silver... You couldn't ask for a better anti-tanking billboard for the NBA yeah, than the process point. blowing up. Great because point. If, if Philadelphia is forced to trade an MVP player because he doesn't think that his franchise can help them, can, can, can put him in position to compete for a championship, then what that says is that culture in this league actually does matter. It's not just about being able to land a superstar player, an MVP caliber player. You actually have to have a culture around that player and in your building that will allow you to compete at the highest levels of the sport. And to me, that that is where Philadelphia is at. Like, they've had a culture of losing for the better part of the last decade, and it wasn't until 2016, 2017, where they got things turned around, Joel Embiid's first full season on the court for him. Now, unfortunately for Embiid, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Like, the last couple of years, he's had back-to-back 60-plus game seasons, and so that's that's a good sign, but you wonder – for a guy that came into the league with foot injuries, a guy that's battled injuries off and on throughout his career, how long can he stay healthy and productive to this level? So that's also a part of the math when you're making this decision if you're the Philadelphia 76ers front office. That's why I say if you're, if you're realistic about where your franchise is at, then you might consider, and I'm saying might, consider flipping Joel Embiid while his value is at its highest. If he leaves Philly what do you anticipate a landing spot being for him because for me it's the Knicks I would love to see Joel Embiid go to New York oh, as that's I a see our producer Shannon pre- cover his mouth as a Knicks fan yeah I mean that's a franchise that appreciates a big man going back to the Patrick Ewan days but if you could pair Joel Embiid with Jalen Brunson yeah. then all of a sudden as a Knicks as a Knicks fan you can you can dream you can have hope that you can compete for a title um, and if you're Joel Embiid, you're, you're in a larger market. You're, you're going to get more fanfare. You're going to get more appreciation for what you are as a basketball player. So I, I just – not to throw shade at Philly because that's, that's, that's a great sports fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're Joel Embiid, you realize if you stay around long enough and this team can't break through that second-round ceiling, eventually you'll be the person that they scapegoat. You'll be the guy that they blame. If you go to New York – You'll be the conquering hero. And all of a sudden, all of the Knicks fans are excited because now they're not thinking about missing out on Donovan Mitchell from a year ago, but they're thinking about the prospects of Joel Embiid being a centerpiece around a championship contending team. And let's keep this in mind, too. The Knicks have the assets to be able to pull off a deal like this. Uh-huh. They got all of their draft picks. So that, that's what it's going to take. It'll be an absolute haul for Joel Embiid, picks, pick swaps, young players, the Knicks have all of that, from the R.J. Barrett's, the Emmanuel Quickleys, um, you know, they've, they've got the, the, the Quentin Grimes. They've got all of that, plus they've got the picks and the pick swaps to make something like this happen. So, to me, that would seem like the most likely of landing spots, but make no mistake, if Philadelphia were to make Joel Embiid available to trade, you wouldn't have a shortage of NBA teams lining up to get him. No, and it would be so fun to watch. But if you went to New York, Chris, bing bong, everyone here would be going. Bang! I, I, I'm boots on the ground in New York. This this place would erupt. Bing bong indeed. He's Chris Canty. I'm Michelle Smallman. Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. And coming up next, we have the play of the night, plus the Dolphins' Tyree Kill. He's vowed to break 2,000 yards next year. Is this a make-or-break season for Tua? We're going to discuss it next on ESPN Radio. 
and Carlin, the podcast. I'm Michelle Smallman. He's Chris Canty. Let's taste some money. Chris Canty has your play of the night. Oh, I love this, Michelle. It's my favorite part of the show because I help the audience make some money. So tonight we're going to go to the baseball diamond. We're going to go with the Tampa Bay Rays visiting the Texas Rangers at Globe Life Ballpark. Now the Rays have the best record in all of baseball, and the Rangers have the third best record in the American League. Now, Shane McClanahan, the ace pitcher for the Rays, is back, as well as third baseman Yanny Diaz. So I'm taking the Rays in the money line in this game, and it's going to be a four-leg parlay. We're going to go over nine runs scored in this game, and we're going to focus on the pitching matchup. Dane Dunning, he's got four and a half as the over-under for his strikeouts. We're going to take the under. He's been under that strikeout total four of his last five starts, and then we're going to go under on strikeouts for Shane McClanahan, too. His number is at five and a half. He's been under that number in all five of his last starts. So we're going to put all of those together. Four-leg parlay, over nine runs scored, Dunning and McClanahan under on the strikeouts, and the Rays to win on the money line. And that pays out at plus 900. So a hell of a way to start your week, make you a little bit of coin, plus 900. Michelle, that's got a little bit of juice to it. Let's go. I'm smelling the wealth. I'm smelling it, Chris Canty. I love that pick for you. We got a little money going on. We got a little money. Here's the other thing, too. These two teams, this will be the fourth matchup this season. Yep. The Rays have won two of the previous three. So I'm just saying, I I like the Rays tonight. That's going to be a good game to watch. The the AL East leading Rays and the AL West leading Texas Rangers. All right, well, Chris Canty just gave you a way to make some money. Now it's time to go three and out. And we have to start here, Chris Canty. The Madden NFL 24 ratings. It's this week. The top 10 wide receivers. Let me give them to you. Justin Jefferson is number one, Minnesota Vikings. He has a 99, coming in with a 99 Madden ranking. Tyreek Hill has a 98 overall. Devontae Adams coming in at number three with a 97 overall. And then Stephon Diggs and Cooper Cup are tied for fourth with a 96 overall rating for Madden. What's your response to this? As someone who's never played Madden, this really doesn't carry a lot of weight with me, so the floor is yours. Well, I can promise you, Michelle, as a former NFL player, this carries a ton of weight in the locker room. <laughs> when, when these ratings come out, you should see the scramble that grown men have to see their ratings on Madden. Because really? it just it just speaks to the level of respect that you have in, 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 your, in your profession. Like, it's just the way you show me you respect me as a player mm. is how much my team pays me and how much I'm rated on Madden. Like, those are the things that show players that they're respected. How much I get paid, and then just right under that, what's my rating on Madden? So, guys are in locker rooms scrambling to find out what their Madden ratings are, and in every single update throughout the season, you want to know what your rating is. Now, for me, when I saw this list, I was like, how the hell is Jamar Chase not on the top five in Madden ratings at wide receiver? How is that possible? Like, okay, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, I get those guys. But how is Jamar Chase not up there with Stephon Diggs and Cooper Cup? Help me make sense of this, Michelle. Make it make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. It can't make sense to me either, Chris. But now I'm wondering if Jamar Chase uses this as some bulletin board material this season. Is this something that guys will have a chip on their shoulder about and think about throughout the season? 
Uh, I think Jamar Chase fighting for a contract extension after the season <laughs> will have more to do with his motivation than his Madden rating. But yes. like I said, this is going to be right up there. This but, is going to be right up there. He, it just lends itself to feeling disrespected, you know, having you having go. stuff to play for. Well, number two go. on the list, Tyree Kill. He's in the news. He vowed to break 2,000 yards next year. Is this a make-or-break season for Tua? If Tyreek's saying, I'm going to go 2,000 yards this upcoming season, what does that do for Tua? Yeah, I mean, Tua's got to do it. Uh, I mean, like, we, we can't keep coming up with excuses for him and saying it's bad luck. Like, we, we remember the scary incident in week four on Cincinnati, that primetime Thursday night game with the head injury and him being carted off the field. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Tua's got to step up and play. Like, the best ability is availability. He showed when he's on the field, this is one of the most explosive offenses in all of football. Only problem is he's not on the field nearly enough to dub him a franchise quarterback. So, I, I struggle to say this is a make-or-break year. Now, this could be a year where two approves that he breaks more often than not, and that makes the decision for the Miami Dolphins. But if we're getting to the Tyreek Hill smashing the single-season receiving yards record, which is held by Calvin Johnson, I think it's 1,946 yards. If we're talking about Tyreek Hill, can he do it? He absolutely can get 2,000 yards receiving if his quarterback can stay healthy. That's the right. biggest question. It's not a question of Tyreek Hill's talent. It's a question of the quarterback's availability. And I am so worried about that this upcoming season, Chris. Uh, the Dolphins are one of the most intriguing teams out there. They have a lot of weapons. When healthy, Tua certainly took that next step. I thought last year that we might see him hang it up. The, the concussions and the head injuries he sustained, nothing to mess with. I'm glad that he's able to get healthy and that he's back out there. But it's a major concern of mine heading into this season. I, I pray that we don't see him endure another concussion this year. Yeah, I don't want to see that either. And, and in the interest of making the AFC East as as interesting and as dramatic as we possibly can, yeah. I want Tua to be available. Because Absolutely. I can see a world where the Miami Dolphins win the AFC East. And could you imagine how Jets fans would lose <sighs> their minds no. if the Miami Dolphins won the division? Jets fans would go ballistic. They would say, oh, we have Aaron Rodgers, we got the defense, and the Miami Dolphins win the division. So – that, that would be fascinating. But, yeah, Jamar Chase not being one of the top five receivers on Madden, that, that, that has got to be the strangest ranking, ratings, ranking system that I've ever seen. So I, I would be curious to see what Jeremy Fowler does with his list of wide receivers top ten tomorrow yep. with the NFL executive because that's coming out tomorrow. I'd be interested to see where Chase falls relative to Diggs and Cooper Cup. I bet he'll be higher on that set of rankings than he was on Madden and his overall ratings. Chris Canty, so much fun today. Thank you so much. We will be working together. Loved it, Michelle. Loved it. Yes. So much fun. We're going to be working together all weekend long. Thank you again to Chris and Shannon behind the scenes. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Coming in up next, Joe and Amber. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Auntie and Carlin, the podcast.